Hello, my love. Um, how you doing? Hope your day's going all right. Um, whenever you're listening to this, you know, in the morning, what you got today? You're just chilling, doing some work, traveling. Hope everything goes smoothly for you. You can tell it's like the evening, afternoon. How's your day been? I can't wait to speak to you later or now. Or I'm so glad to have spoken to you. I love seeing you. I love you so much. Okay. So basically, what this is, you can probably tell, probably know, because I probably told you. It's like an ebook. I'm going to be reading through The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. It's going to be very fun. Um, yeah, I love you. I uh, hope you're doing all right. Can't wait to see you later. You're so good. Okay. Um, my reading is not going to be on point, by the way. So I'm, I'm going to try and do like maybe 15, 20 minute episodes. Depends on chapter length. But if you want me to do like other things, just let me know. We can work. We could. We can work around it. Yeah. Okay. My reading is not going to be on point. Might have to like. Might might rego it. Okay. Okay. Let's go. So I guess this is like a news article. The New York Tribune. Evelyn Hugo to auction off gowns by Priya Amrit on March the second, twenty seventeen. Film legend and 60s it girl Evelyn Hugo has just announced that she will auction off 12 of her most memorable gowns through Christie's to raise money for breast cancer research. At the age of 79, Hugo has long been an icon of glamour and elegance. She is known for her personal style, both sensual and restrained, and many of Hugo's most famous looks are considered touchstones of the fashion and Hollywood archives. Those looking to own a piece of Hugo history will be intrigued not only by the gowns themselves, but also by the context in which they were worn. Including in the sale will be the emerald green Miranda Legonda that Hugo wore to the 1959 Academy Awards, the violet souffle and organdy scoop neck she donned at the premiere of Anna Karaina in 1962, and the navy blue silk Michael Maddox that she was wearing in 1982 when she won her Oscar for All of Us. Hugo has weathered her share of Hollywood scandals, not in the least of which being her seven marriages, including her decades-long relationship with film producer Harry Cameron. The two Hollywood insiders shared a daughter, Connor Cameron, who is no doubt the influence for the auction. Mrs. Cameron passed away last year from breast cancer, soon after turning 41. Born Evelyn Alina Herrera in 1938, the daughter of Cuban immigrants, Hugo grew up in Hell's Kitchen neighborhood of New York City. By 1955, she had made her way to Hollywood, gone blonde, and had become re- rechristened Evelyn Hugo. Almost overnight, Hugo became a member of the Hollywood elite. She remained in the spotlight for more than three decades before retiring in the late 80s and mar- marrying financier Robert Jameson, older brother of three-time Oscar-winning actress Celia St. James. Now wooded from her seventh husband, Hugo resides in Manhattan. Preternaturally beautiful, God, and a paragon of glamour and daring sexuality, Hugo has long been a source of fascination for moviegoers all over the world. This auction is expected to raise upward of two million dollars. Okay, so a little sneak peek at how smooth this is going to go. Okay, chapter one. Can you come to my office? I look around the desk beside me and then back at Frankie, 
trying to confirm to whom exactly she's talking. I point to myself. Do you mean me? Frankie has very little patience. Yes, Monique, I'm you. That's why I said, Monique, can you come into my office? Sorry, I just heard the last part. Frankie grabs, I grab my note, Frankie turns, I grab my notepad and follow her. There is something very striking about Frankie. I'm not sure that you'd say that she's con conventionally attractive. Her features are severe, her eyes very wide apart, but she's nevertheless someone you can't help look at and admire. With her thin, six foot tall frame, her short cropped afro, and her affinity for bright colours and big jewellery. When Frankie walks into the room, everyone takes notice. She was part of the reason why I took this job. I have looked up to her since I was in journalism school, reading her pieces in the very page of the magazine she now runs and I now work for. And I've been, if I'm being honest, there's something very inspiring about having a black woman running things. As a biracial woman myself, with a black father and white mother, Frankie makes me feel more sure that I can one day run things too. Take a seat, Frankie says, as she sits down and gestures towards an orange chair on the opposite side of her loose side desk. I calmly sit and cross my legs. I let Frankie talk first. So, puzzling turn of events, she says, looking at her computer. Evelyn Hugo's people are inquiring about a feature, an exclusive interview. My gut instinct is to say, holy shit, but also, why are you telling me this? About what in particular, I ask. My guess is it's related to the gown auctions she's doing, Frankie says. My understanding is that it's very important to her to raise as much money from the American Breast Cancer Foundation as possible. But they won't confirm that? Frankie shakes her head. All they will confirm is that Evelyn has something to say. Evelyn Hugo is one of the biggest movie stars of all time. She doesn't even have to say something for people to listen. This could be a big cover-up for us, right? I mean, she's a living legend. Wasn't she married eight times or something? Seven, Frankie says. And yes, this has huge potential. Which is why I hope you'll bear with me through the next part of this. What do you mean? Frankie takes a big breath and gets a look on her face. That makes me think I'm about to get fired. But then she says, Evelyn specifically requested you. Me? This is the second time in the span of five minutes that I've been shocked that someone was interested in speaking to me. I need to work on my confidence. Suffice it to say, it's taken a beating, really, a beating recently. Although, why pretend it was ever really soaring? To be honest, that was my reaction too, Frankie says. Now I'll be honest, I'm a little offended. Although, obviously, I can see where she's coming from. I've been on Vivant for less than a year, mostly doing puff pieces. Before that, I was blogging for a discourse, or for the discourse, a current events and culture site that calls itself a news magazine, but is effectively a blog with punchy headlines. I wrote mainly for the Modern Life section, covering trendy topics and opinion pieces. After years of freelancing, the Discord gig was a lifesaver, but when Vivant offered me a job, I couldn't help myself. I jumped at the chance to join an institution and work among legends. On my first day at work, I walked past walls decorated with iconic, culture-shifting covers. The one of the women's activists, the one of women's activist Debbie Palmer, naked and carefully posed, standing on top of a skyscraper overlooking Manhattan in 1984. The one of artist Robin Turner in the act of painting a canvas while the text declared that he had AIDS back in 1991. It felt surreal to be part of the Vivant world. I've always wanted to see my name on its glossy pages. But unfortunately for the past 12 issues, I've done nothing but ask old guard questions. 
of people with old money, while my colleagues back at the discourse are attempting to change the world while going viral. So simply put, I'm not exactly impressed with myself. Look, it's not that we don't love you. We do, Frankie said. We think you're destined for big things at Vivant. I was hoping to put one of our more experienced Tom hit top hitters on this. And so I want to be upfront with you when I say that I did not submit you as an idea to Everman's team. We sent five big names and they come back with this. Frankie turns her computer screen towards me and shows an email from someone named Thomas Welch, uh, who I can only assume is Evelyn Hugo's publicist. From Thomas Welch to Troop Frankie, CC Stamey, Jason, Powers, Ryan. It's Monique Grant or Evelyn's out. I look back at Frankie, stunned. To be honest, a little bit starstruck that Evelyn Hugo wants anything to do with me. Do you know Evelyn Hugo? Is that what's going on here? Frankie asks me as she turns her computer back towards her side of the desk. No, I say. Surprised even to be asked the question. I've seen a, I've seen a few of her movies, but she's a little before my time. You have you have no personal connection with her? I shake my head. Definitely not. Aren't you from LA? Yes, but the only way I've had any connection to Evelyn Hugo, I suppose, is if my dad worked on one of her films back in the day. He was a still photographer for the movie sets. I can ask my mum. Great, thank you. Frankie looks at me expectantly. Did you want to ask me now? Or do you want, did you want me to ask now? Could you? I pull up my phone in my pocket and text my mother. Did dad ever work on any Evelyn Hugo model movies? I see three dots start to appear. I look up, only to find that Frankie is trying to glimpse my phone. She seems to recognise the invasion and leans back. My phone dings. My mother texts. Maybe. There are so many people it's hard to keep track. Why? Long story, I reply, but I'm trying to figure out if I have any connection to Evelyn Hugo. Think Dad would have known her? Mum answers. Ha! No. Your father never hang out with anybody famous on set. No matter how hard I try to make him some celebrity friends I laugh it looks like a no no connection to Evelyn Hugo Frankie nods okay well then the other theory is that her people chose someone with less clout so they could try and control you and thus the narrative I feel my phone vibrate again that reminds me that I wanted to send you a box of your dad's old work some gorgeous stuff I love having it here but I think you'd love it more I'll send it this week you think they're praying on the week I say to Frank Frankie? Frankie starts shot softly. Sort of. So Evelyn's people look up the masthead, find my name as a lower level writer. I think they can bully me around? That's the idea? That's what I fear. And you're telling me these words because? Frankie considers her words. Because I don't think you can be bullied around. I think they are underestimating you. And I want this cover. I want it to make headlines. But water break. What are you saying, I asked, shifting slightly my chair. Frankie claps her front, her hands in front of her and rests on the desk, leaning towards me. I'm asking you if you have the guts to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Evelyn Hugo. Of all the things I thought someone was going to ask me today, this would probably be somewhere around number 9 million. Do I have the guts to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Evelyn Hugo? I have no idea. Yes, I say finally. That's all? Just yes? 
I want this opportunity. I want to write this story. I'm sick of being the lowest one on the totem pole. And I need a win, goddammit. Fuck yes? Frankie nods, considering. Better, but I'm still not convinced. I'm 35 years old. I've been a writer for more than a decade. I want a book deal one day. I want to pick my stories. I want to eventually be the names people scramble to when someone like Evelyn Hugo calls. And I'm being underused here at events. If I'm going to get where I want to go, something has to let up. Someone has to get out of my way. And it needs to happen quickly because this goddamn career is all I have anymore. And if I want things to change, I have to change how I do things and probably drastically. Evelyn wants me, I say. You want Evelyn? It doesn't sound like I need to convince you, Frankie. It sounds like you need to convince me. Frankie is dead, quiet, staring right at me over her steeple fingers. I was aiming for formidable? I might have overshot. I feel the same way I did when I tried to try weight training and started with the 40 pounds. Too much too soon makes it obvious you don't know what you're doing. It takes everything I have not to take it back, not to apologise profusely. My mother raised me to be polite, to be demure. Demure. I have long operated under the idea that civility is subservience, but it hasn't got me very far. That type of kindness. The world respects people who they think should be running it. I've never understood that, but I'm done fighting it. I'm here to be Frankie one day, maybe bigger than Frankie, to do big, important work that I am proud of, to leave a mark, and I'm nowhere near that right now the silence is so long I think I might crack tension building with every second that goes by but Frankie cracks first okay she says and puts her hand as she stands down uh, puts, her ha puts out her hand as she stands up shock and searing pride run through me as I extend my own I make sure my handshake is strong Frankie's is advice ace this Monique for us and yourself please I will. We break away from each other and I walk towards the door. She might have read your physician-assisted suicide piece for discourse. Frankie says "Why I leave the just before I leave the room. What? It was stunning. Maybe that's why she wants you. It's how we found you. It's a great story. Not just because of the hits it got, because of you. Because it's beautiful work. It's one of my first truly meaningful stories I, w I wrote of my own volition. I pitched it after I was assigned a piece on the rise of in popularity of microgreens, especially on the Brooklyn restaurant restaurant scene. It had gone. I had gone to the Park Slope Market interview to interview a local farmer, but when I confessed that I didn't get the appeal of mustard greens, he told me that I sounded like his sister. She had been highly highly carnivorous until the past year, when she switched to vegan, all organic diet as she battled brain cancer. As we spoke more, he told me about a physician-assisted suicide support group he and his sister had joined for those at the end of their lives and their loved ones. So many people in the group were fighting for the right to die with dignity. Healthy eating wasn't going to save his sister's life, and neither of them wanted to suffer any longer than she had to. I knew then what I wanted, very deeply, to give a voice to the people of that support group. I went back to the discourse office and pitched the story. I thought I'd be turned down, given my recent slate of articles about hipster trends and celebrity think pieces. But to my surprise, I was greeted with a green light. I worked tirelessly on it, attending meetings in church basements, interviewing the members, writing and rewriting, until I felt confident that the piece represented the full complexity with the mercy and the moral code of helping to end lives of suffering people. 
It is a story I am proudest of, and I, I have more than once gone home from a day's work here and read that piece again, reminding myself of what I'm capable of. Reminding people of the satisfaction I take in sharing the truth, no matter how difficult it may be to swallow. Thank you, I tell Frankie now. I'm just saying that you're talented. It might be that. It's probably not, though. No, she says. It's probably not. But write this story well, whatever it is, and then next time it will be. Ooh, we've got another article. TheSpill.com. Evelyn Hugo's Coming Clean? By Julia Santos. March 4th, 2017. Oh God, it's kind of upset. Word on the street is Siren, living legend. Whilst my beautiful blonde Evelyn Hugo's auctioning off gowns and agreeing to an interview, which she's not done in multiple decades. Please tell me she is finally ready to talk about all those damn husbands. I can't understand four, maybe even five, six, who were pushing it, but seven? Seven husbands? Not to mention the fact that we all knew she was having an affair with Congressman Jack Easton in the early 80s. Girl got a round. If she won't come clean about the husbands, let's probably she at least goes into the record about how she got those eyebrows. I mean, share the wealth, Evelyn. When she had pictures of Eve back in the day with her eye brassy blonde hair, with her brassy blonde hair, those dark, straight as an arrow eyebrows, that deep tan skin, and those golden brown eyes, you have no choice but to stop what you're doing and stare right at her. And don't get me started on that body. No ass, no hips, just huge boobs on a slim frame. I've basically been working my entire adult life for a body like that. Note, I am very far away. Might be the, spreti- the spaghetti bucatini I've been eating for lunch every day this week. Here is the only part that has me, has me heated. Evelyn could have chosen anyone for this. Ahem, me? But instead she choose some newbie at Vivant? She could have anyone. Ahem, me? Why this Monique Grant chick? Ah, uh, not me? Ugh, fine. I'm just bitter or something. I should really get a job over that. They get all the good stuff. Some interesting comments. Um, Sexy Lexi 89 says, Evelyn Hugo may be the most beautiful woman of all time. That shot on Bouton Train when she's coming out of the water naked and the camera cuts to black right before you see her nipples. So good. Chapter 2. Little drink break. How you doing, my love? Um, yeah. Please send all, all, um, all the feedback. Like, I'm going to, like, quick or slow or stuff like that. Hope you're enjoying it. Oh, God, be real. Ah, be real. Anyway. Chapter 2. I spent the first, past few days researching everything I can about Evelyn Hugo. I was never a big film buff, let alone interested in any old Hollywood stars, but Evelyn's life... At least the version on record as, it, as of now is merely enough for 10 soap operas. There's the early marriage that ended in divorce when she was 18. The stew set up courtship and tumultuous marriage to Hollywood royalty Don Adler. The rumours that she left him because he beat her. Her come back in a French New Wave film. The quickie Vegas elopement with singer Mick Reaver. Her glamorous marriage to the dapper Rex North, which offended them both having affairs. The beautiful love story of her life with Henry Cameron and the birth of their daughter, Connor. Their heartbreaking divorce and her very quick marriage to her old director, Max Gillard. Her supposed affair with the much younger congressman, Jack Easton, which ended her relationship with Gillard. And finally, her marriage to financier Robert Jameson. 
rumoured to have at least been inspired by Evelyn's desire to spite former co-star and Robert's sister, Celia St. James. All of her husbands have passed away, leaving Evelyn as the only one with insight into those relationships. Suffice it to say, I have my work hat for me if I wanted to if I want to get to her to talk about any of it. After staying late at the office this evening, I finally make my way home before a little a little before nine. My apartment is small. I believe that most appropriate time is a teeny tiny sardine box. Itty bitty sardine box. But it's amazing how vast a small place can feel when half your things are gone. David moved out five weeks ago, and I still haven't managed to replace the dishes he took with him or the coffee table his mother gave out gave us last year as a wedding present. Jesus. We didn't even make it to our first anniversary. Oh, adjust me. As I walk in the front door, put my bag on the sofa, it strikes me again how needlessly petty it was and to take the coffee table. His new Francisco studio came fully furnished, courtesy of the generous relocation package offered with his promotion. I suspect he put the table in storage, along with the one nightstand he insisted was, he insisted was rightfully his, and all of our cookbooks. I don't miss the cookbooks, I don't cook. But when things are inscribed to Monique and David for all your many years of happiness, they think of you think of them as half yours. I hang up my coat and wonder, not for the first time, which question gets us closer to the truth. Did David take the new job and move to San Francisco without me? Or did I refuse to leave New York for him? As I take on my shoes, I resolve once again that the answer is somewhere in the middle, but then I come back to the same thought that always stings me afresh. He actually left. I order myself pad thai and then get in the shower. I turn the water to nearly scalding hot. I love water so hot it almost burns. I love the smell of shampoo. My happiest place might just be under the shower head. It is here, in steam, covered in suds, that I do not feel like Monique Grant, woman left behind, or even Monique Grant, stalled writer. I'm just Monique Grant, owner of luxury bath products. Well after, well after I'd pruned, I dry myself off, put on my sweatpants, and pull my hair away from my face, just in time for the delivery man to make his way to my door. I sit with a plastic container, trying to watch some TV. I attempt to zone out. I want to make my brain do something, anything, other than think about work or David. But once my food is gone, I realise it's futile. I might as well work. This is all very intimidating. The, inter the idea of interviewing Evelyn Hugo... The task of controlling her narrative, of trying to make sure she doesn't control mine? I'm often inclined to over-prepare, but more to the point, I've always been a bit like an ostrich, willing to bury my head in the sand to avoid what I don't want to face. So for the next three days, I do nothing but research Evelyn Hugo. I spend my days pulling up old articles about her marriages and her scandals. I spend my evenings watching her old movies. I watch clips of her in Carolina Sunset, Anna Cariano, Jade Diamond, and All For Us. I watched the gif of her coming out of the water in Bouton Trace so many times that when I fall asleep, it plays over and over in my dreams. And I start to fall in love with her just a little bit as I watch her films. Between the hours of 11pm and 2am, while the rest of the world is sleeping, my laptop flickers with the sight of her, and the sound of her voice fills my living room. There is no denying that she is a stunningly beautiful woman, People often talk to her, talk about her straight, thick eyebrows and her blonde hair, but I can't take my eyes off her bone structure. Her jawline is strong, 
her cheekbones are high, and all of it comes to a point at her ever so swollen lips. Her eyes are huge, but not so much round that an oversized almond shape. Uh, oh god. Over, uh, her eyes are huge, but not so much round as an oversized almond shape. Her tan skin next to her light hair looks beachy and almost elegant. I know it's not natural, hair that blonde with skin that bronze, and yet I can't shake the feeling that it should be, that humans should be born looking like this. I have no doubt that's part of the reason film historian Charles Redding once said that everyone's face felt inevitable, so exquisite, so perfect, that when looking at her you get a sense that her features, in that combination, in that ratio, were bound to happen sooner or later. I pin images of Evelyn in the 50s wearing tight sweaters and bullet bras, press photos of her and Don Adler on the Sunset Studios lot shortly after they were married, shots of her in the early 60s with long straight hair and soft thick bangs wearing short shorts. There is a photo of her in, white, in a white one-piece sitting on the shoreline of a pristine beach with a large fluffy black hat covering most of her face her white blonde hair and the right side of her face illuminated by the sun. One of my personal favourites is the black and white shot from the Golden Globes in 1967. She's seated on the aisle, her, her hair pulled into a loose updo. She's wearing a light coloured lace gown with a deep scoop neckline, her cleavage controlled but on full display and her right leg escaping through the high slit of a skirt. There are two men seated next to her, names lost to history, was staring at her and she looks as she looks ahead at the stage. The man next to her is staring at her chest. The one next to him is staring at her thigh. Both of them seems enraptured and hoping to see the tiniest bit further. Maybe I'm overthinking that photo, but I'm starting to notice a pattern. Evelyn always leaves you hoping you'll just get a little bit more and she always denies you. Even though in her much talked about sex scene in 3am from 1977, in which she writhes reverse cowboy style on top of Don Adler, you see her full breast for less than three seconds. It's rumoured for years that the incredible box office numbers for the film were just because couples were going to see it multiple times. How does she know how much to give and just how much of her herself to withhold? And does that all change now that she's got something to say? Or is she going to play me the same way she played audiences for years? Is Evelyn Hugo going to tell me just enough to keep me on the edge of my seat but never enough to truly reveal anything that's the end of chapter two. Oh god it's been like 26 minutes um okay that's chapter two done but yeah i hope you enjoyed that Ugh. i might i don't know how often i might try and record like one one or two a week and it will work so I'm currently recording this on the games before the the day before the games. I don't know when I'm gonna give this to you, by the way. So hello, me from the future and you from the future. But yeah, I see you soon, my love. Um, and yeah, I'm sure we'll text today and FaceTime today. I can't wait to see your face. You're so gorgeous. You're so beautiful. I'd say I'd say more more beautiful than this Evelyn Hugo. I love you. Hope you've had a good day. Hope your day's gotta go well. If you're just starting, if you're just moving. Hope you're chilling. Um, yeah, I love you. I love you so much. Make me so happy. Yeah, come on.
can't wait to speak later. Okay, goodbye for now. Talk soon. I love you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.